Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, every one of us has done something that in the uh, in the prism of hindsight we realize was a mistake, misjudgment, and misunderstanding of the situation. And it may have taken us a day, a week, or so to come to that realization and to apologize to those affected. Will Smith is like that. He um, ran up on stage and slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars three, four months ago. And this week he came to the realization that he owed some people an apology. Why didn't you apologize to Chris in your acceptance speech? Um, I was fogged out by that point. It's, 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 it's all fuzzy. I've reached out to Chris um, and the, mes the message that came back is that uh, he's not ready to talk. And when he is, he will reach out. Um, so I will, I will say to you, um, Chris, I apologize to you. Uh, my behavior was unacceptable, and I'm here whenever you're ready to talk. Okay. Um, will Smith, ladies and gentlemen, apologize. I, I want to apologize to Chris's mother. I saw an interview that Chris's mother did, and... You know, that was one of the things about that moment. I just didn't realize and, you know, I wasn't thinking, but how many people got hurt in that moment. Fuzz, well, you were fuzzy. So I want to uh, apologize to Chris's mother. I want to apologize to uh, Chris's family, uh, specifically Tony Rock. You know, we had a great relationship. You know, Tony Rock was my man. Um, and uh, this, this is this is probably irreparable. Okay. Um, so Will Smith apologizing. I spent the last three months um, replaying yeah. and understanding the nuances and and the complexities of what happened. Yeah. In in that moment. Very complex slap. Um, Very complex and slap. I'm not going to try to unpack all of that right now. No, that would be. But I can say to all of you mm. there is no part of me mm. that thinks that was the right way to behave in that moment well the nuance alone there's no part of me that thinks that's mm. the optimal way mm -hmm. to handle a feeling of disrespect or or insults i'm sure everybody can understand that rule after Smith jada rolled her eyes did she tell you to do something no, um, it's like, you know, I'm, I made a choice on my own mm -hmm. from my own experiences, from my history with Chris. Jada had nothing to do with it. Okay. Will, uh, I'm sorry, babe. Um, Will Smith, ladies and gentlemen. I say sorry to my, my kids and, and my family for the heat that I brought on all of us. 
um, to all my fellow nominees. You know, this is a community. It's like I won because you you voted for me. And it, I it, did. it really breaks my heart huh. to have stolen and and tarnished, tarnished your moment. Um, Actually, my mom, my moment was fine. That I was can the- still see Quest Love's eyes. You know, it, it happened on Quest Love's uh, award. And well, he's got great know, eyes. I have to say that it's like so- I'm I'm. I'm sorry really isn't sufficient. No, not good enough. But that's Will Smith's apology. What would you say to the people who looked up to you before the slap or people who expressed that you let them down? Mm. Um, Yeah, that's a tough one. Anyway. So there's two things. One, um, disappointing people is my central trauma. Mm. Um, I hate when... I let people down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it hurts. Okay, but that... Uh, it hurts me psychologically mm. and emotionally to know I didn't live up to uh, people's image and impression of me. I don't and do an impression of you, Will, but it, I'm, I guess we're sorry that you're hurting. The work I'm trying to do is mm. I am deeply remorseful Mm. and I'm trying to be remorseful without being ashamed of myself. Uh Right. I'm human. Right. And I made a mistake. Yeah. And yeah, just a little mistake at the Academy Awards. I'm trying not to think of myself as a piece of shit. Um, (laughs) We don't say that on the radio. I would say to those people, I know it was confusing. I know it was, shocking um but i i promise you i am uh deeply devoted and committed to putting light and love and joy into the world and you know mm-hmm. i do know if you if you hang on i promise we'll be able to be friends again interesting because i've never met you in my life will smith ladies and gentlemen with the apology of the week hello welcome to the show
from Santa Monica, California, where it's not really hot, hot, hot at all. I think that's our civic slogan, or their civic slogan. I'm not really a part of all that. Hi, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And uh, lots of good stuff for you ahead on the show today. People say that at the start of their shows and their podcasts, don't they? That fills time well, but now... We got a real great smart world thing today. There, filled another. More thought, or at least some thought, needs to be given to privacy protection in the promised metaverse of connected 3D virtual reality worlds. That's the conclusion of experts consulted by the British tech journal, The Register. Actually, it's in a paper distributed via Archive, entitled Exploring the Unprecedented Privacy Risks in the Metaverse. Researchers at UC Berkeley and the Technical University of Munich in Germany playtested an escape room virtual reality game to better understand just how much data a potential attacker in the metaverse could access. Researchers created a framework for assessing and analyzing potential privacy threats. They identified more than 25 examples of private data attributes available to potential attackers some of which would be difficult or impossible to obtain from traditional mobile or web applications. The wealth of information available through augmented reality, your AR, and virtual reality, VR, hardware and software, it's been known for years. 2012 article, a new scientist described Ingress, an augmented reality game from Google or its spin-off Niantic Labs as a data gold mine. From Google, really? I, I find that hard to not believe. So uh, data monetization firms like Meta are willing to invest billions to make the market for head-hugging hardware and AR or VR apps more than just a uh, little, little thing. The trust and safety issues of online social interaction have vexed online services since the days of dial-up modems and bulletin boards, before web browsers were even a thing. And uh, now that Google, Apple, Microsoft, Meta, and other players see a chance to uh, do this thing, corporate consultancies are again reminding clients privacy will be a problem. Quote, advanced technologies, especially in VR headsets, and they look good too, and smart glasses will track behavior and biometrical information at a record scale. That's the prediction of uh, the Everest Group in its recent report, Trust and Safety in the Metaverse. At present, they say, digital technologies can capture data regarding facial expressions, hand movements, and gestures. Hence, personal and sensitive information that will leak through the metaverse in the future will re include real-world information about user habits and physiological characteristics, unquote. Well, who would want those? Oh, Google. Not only is privacy an unsolved metaverse issue, but hardware security leaves something to be desired. A related recent study of hardware in the metaverse found 
vendor websites full of potential security viability, uh, vulnerabilities, their hardware and software lacking in multi-factor authentication, and their private policies obtuse. Obtuse, I say. I went into a falsetto to say obtuse. The escape room study enumerates the, speci enumerates the specific data points available to attackers of various sources hardware, client, server, and user adversaries. Attacker, defined by the searchers, encompasses not only external threat actors, my favorite kind of actor, but also participants and the companies running the show. So potential data points, height, arm length, interpupillary distance, room dimensions, device specifications, network stuff, bandwidth, proximity, Behavioral observations, your languages, your handedness, voice, reaction time, distance vision, color vision, cognitive acuity, and fitness. That's all they want to know about you. Oh no, from these metrics, various inferences, inferences can be made at about, about a participant's gender, wealth, ethnicity, age, and disabilities. Quote the uh, paper. The alarming accuracy and covertness of these attacks and the push of data-hungry companies towards metaverse technologies indicate that data collection and inference practices in VR environments will soon become more pervasive in our daily lives. I want more inferences deduced about me in my daily life. It's just, you know... It's the next best thing to being really famous. Quote, we want to start by saying that these attacks are theoretical. We don't have evidence that anyone is actually using them currently, although it would be quite hard to know if they were, said one of the researchers. Two of the researchers, actually. We use attacks as a term of art, but in reality, if the data harvesting were to be deployed, consent would likely be buried in an agreement somewhere. And in, theory, and in theory, be entirely above board, as long as you can read that thing that it's buried in. If a company wanted to do data harvesting, it could get vastly more information about users in VR than it could from mobile apps. Pivoting towards VR would make perfect sense in that context. The two researchers say there's reason to believe that companies investing in the metaverse do so at least in part on the expectation that post-sales advertising will make up for losses like the $12.5 spent by Meta's Reality Labs group last year to earn just $2.3 in revenue. Oh, I wish I'd known earlier. I, could, I had my checkbook on me a while back. I could have sent Mark a little something. Now, assuming a company of that size knows how to calculate a bill of materials, this loss-leading approach must be a strategic decision that they believe will eventually pay for itself. And uh, they add, if we look at who these companies are and which revenue methods they have already perfected, we suppose it will be at least somewhat tempting to deploy those same methods to recoup hardware losses. All our research shows is that if a company wanted to do data harvesting, it could get, get vastly more information about users in 
virtual reality than it could from mobile apps, and that pivoting towards VR would make perfect sense in that context. That's all. It's just perfect sense. Unquote, by the way. Asked whether existing privacy rules adequately protect us from metaverse data collection, the two researchers replied they believe so, unless those rules only pertain to mobile apps. But they continued, we do have a unique challenge with respect to metaverse apps, and that there is a plausible reason to be broadcasting this data to central servers. Fundamentally, met metaverse applications work by tracking all of your body movements and streaming all of this data to a server so a representation of yourself can be rendered for other users around the world. So, while the company would struggle to argue that tracking your movements is required for their mobile app, it's actually an integral part of the metaverse experience. And at that point, it's much easier to argue that logs about it need to be stored for troubleshooting. So in theory, even if the same privacy laws apply, they could be interpreted in dramatically different ways due to the fundamental data needs of the platform being so different. The platform has needs. You don't have needs, do you? I didn't think so. The researchers continue, because you need to combine multiple attributes to make inferences, e.g. height and voice, to infer gender. Uh-oh, they're inferring gender. The presence of all these data collection methods in the same place at the same time is what makes VR, virtual reality, a unique risk in terms of being able to infer user data attributes highly accurately. Unquote. The sheer volume of information available through the metaverse, if you choose to go there, is enough to de-anonymize de-anonymize any VR user. Not the case for apps or websites. The researchers say the purpose of their paper is to shed light on the expensive privacy risks of the metaverse and to encourage other researchers to look for solutions. I got one. Screw the metaverse. Oh, and U.S. banking regulators. Now this, this comes as a dramatic surprise, ladies and gentlemen. Hanky-panky with crypto. I know. You better sit down. Are you sitting down? You better stand up. U.S. banking regulators have ordered crypto firm Voyager Digital sounds so reliable, to cease and desist from making false and misleading claims that its customers' funds were protected by the federal government. Federal Reserve and the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, sent a letter to the firm this week stating they believe Voyager misled customers by claiming their funds with the company, you know, their, that people bought crypto with, would be covered by FDIC insurance. Company spokesman didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. I think he went up. The regulators said the company, which declared bankruptcy earlier this month, that's a good sign, and its executives had made various statements indicating that Voyager itself was FDIC insured, that customers who invested in its cryptocurrency platform would have their funds insured, and the FDI would insure customers against the failure of Voyager itself. 
I mean, bankruptcy isn't really a failure. It's just sort of a, a blip. In reality, the company simply had a deposit account at a bank, and customers investing via the company's platform had no FDIC insurance, according to the regulators. Based on the information gathered to date, said the uh, regulators, it appears that these representations likely misled and were relied upon by customers who placed their funds with Voyager and do not have immediate access to their funds, unquote, now that uh, the bankruptcy thing is happening. Regulators ordered the company to remove all misleading statements within two business days of receiving the letter. One to, I guess, understand it. Regulators added such action would not preclude the agencies from taking further action against the firm in the future. Well, in the future, crypto will be... Voyager was one of several crypto firms to struggle in the wake of market turmoil recently. You may have noticed it. In its Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing earlier this month, it estimated it had more than 100,000 creditors. <laughs> more than 100,000 creditors and between 1 billion and 10 billion in assets, as well as liabilities of the same value. So it all works out. Nothing to worry about. It's 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 the Lord's account insurance, isn't it? It's a smart, 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 smart world. News of our friend the Adam. You know, humanity seems puzzled, I speak of all of us, at the prospect of having to find a place to store and protect nuclear waste for the amount of time that it still remains dangerous, which is longer than humans have walked the earth so far. You know, land is, is a dangerous place to put it somehow. Why don't we just dump it in the ocean? Plans to dispose of radioactive nuclear waste beneath the seabed off the northwest coast of England? That's a good idea, isn't it? No, those plans risk seriously harming marine life, including dolphins and whales. That's the warning from experts, according to The Guardian. Seismic surveys in the Irish Sea near Cumbria get underway, or they're already underway, to explore whether the area is suitable for a proposed facility. The UK government is seeking a location for a deep underground repository to store the world's largest stockpile of untreated nuclear waste. Officials say a decades-long accumulation of materials, including more than 100 tons of plutonium, which could create thousands of nuclear bombs, cannot sustainably be, st be stored above ground forever, and they're there for searching for a site to keep it safe and secure over the hundreds of thousands of years it will take for the radioactivity to naturally decay. Hundreds of thousands of years, ladies and gentlemen. 
That's according to um, the statement by those officials. Uh, three years ago, radioactivity leaked into the soil beneath Sellafield in Cumbria, in England. It also saw a serious leakage in the 1970s, and it was not built, according to The Guardian, with decommissioning in mind. <laughs> they didn't have those think-ahead signs plastered all over the place, I guess. There are 20 surface facilities in the United Kingdom that store high-reactive radioactive waste. Apparently, the um, mound is 70% of the volume of Wembley Stadium, and they're on their feet. Impacts related to noise exposure from seismic gun blasts, those have been used as part of the testing beneath the waves, have been linked to vastly reduced sightings of whales. Their primary sense is uh, hearing. There is also concern over storing nuclear waste underwater. Just a handful of such sites exist at this moment. The Zoological Society of London's investigation program manager, he's in charge of the investigation of cetacean strandings, says seismic blasts can cause habitat avoidant, risk excluding mammals from an area, and raise the risk of decompression sickness. It's also um, temporary or permanent shifts in hearing to direct blast trauma. But we got this, we got this radioactive stuff to get rid of. Uh-oh. There are also concerns that the blast may drown out mating calls and even cause deaths after more than 600 dolphins washed ashore in Peru in 2012 after seismic tests. Critics also suggest it may be impossible to predict the consequences of storing heat-generating nuclear waste beneath the sea in perpetuity. Oh, it's perpetuity they're talking about now. Not just hundreds of thousands of years. It's kind of near perpetuity. No matter how effective the barriers, says a leader of a uh, local Green Party group, some of the radioactivity will eventually reach the surface. The rate at which radioactivity would leak from a geological disposal facility, a GDF, can be poorly predicted and is likely to remain so for an indefinite period. Well, that's not perpetuity. Perpetuity is definite. Rather than solving a problem for future generations, it could be leaving them a legacy of a nuclear waste dump, gradually releasing radioactivity into the environment and cutting off their options for deciding how to deal with this waste. Oh, it just it seemed, dumping it in the sea seemed so... Experts have said there is international agreement on the benefits of disposing of radioactive waste in ge deep geological repositories and that it's the most appropriate long-term solution once you can find a piece of earth where the inhabitants are willing to have that happen near them or under them. I think we need some research into uh, better humans nearby. More more pliable ones? More compliant ones. Uh, the uh, British government has an agency, Nuclear Waste Services, to help oversee commissioning, which would be... Uh, involved with getting rid of the waste at deep 
geological facility will protect future generations, says an official from that agency, from the risks, this is a quote, of keeping hazardous radioactive waste in surface stores for thousands of years. So they're going to take surveys in British ter English territorial waters to provide a better understanding of the ge deep geology beyond the coast while doing everything we can to minimize any environmental impact. These surveys will use sound waves, the same technology that's routinely deployed worldwide in industries such as offshore wind, carbon capture, and major infrastructure projects. So don't tell us about whales. No, he didn't say that. Wales is nearby, of course. Clean, cheap, safe, too safe to meter our friend the atom. Santa Monica, home of the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer. This is the show. And now, news of news, a uh, nice corp, nice people doing nice things. Well, it seems like uh, a big divorce is coming up. No, I'm not talking about him or her. 
I'm talking about them, Rupert Murdoch and Donald Trump. There are reports, well, not just reports, the uh, two Rupert Murdoch-owned newspapers in New York, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post, both came out with editorials in the wake of the January 6th committee hearings, recent, last week, saying they show the evidence proffered at the most recent hearing that uh, Donald Trump is unfit. No, not just fat, unfit to be president. It's a split long in coming. Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch, was originally not uh, terribly entranced by Donald Trump, known him for years as just a loudmouth New York real estate guy. But uh, sometime during the primary campaign in 2016, Murdoch was convinced that Trump might be a winner. And um, the one thing Rupert Murdoch loves almost as much as money is a winner. He gave, he gave speaking of which, he gave money to uh, Hillary Clinton when she ran in uh, 2008, I believe. I do believe that. Both of them, actually, Trump and Murdoch, for different reasons. She had been a New York senator, so she had been, um, you know, devoted to um, helping all New Yorkers. Anyway, yes, there is um, evidence afoot that Murdoch is training his uh, eye on a different possible Republican presidential candidate in 2024, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, widely being described these days as Trump without the baggage or the baggage claim. Trump, meanwhile, is still fending off advice, recommendations from the Republicans who still think he's a winner, that uh, he should stop focusing so much on the past. Uh, Successful candidates, they say, Focus on the future. He seems to be unconvinced. You know, I don't have a smash hit TV show anymore. I don't have all the power I once enjoyed. My free rallies sell out. My merch flies off the shelves Just like I was still employed The attacks from the rhinos are totally half-assed Telling me I shouldn't focus on the past But if you get cheated And you don't keep bitching You're the kind of chef Who should get the hell out of the kitchen If you get cheated And you don't make lots of noise You may think you're a big man But you're just one of the little boys 
My people still love me. I'm not a doper or a boozer. I'll never be a beggar, 'cause I was born a chooser. You'll never hear this from your favorite fake newser, but no one stands taller than the world's sorest loser. The world's sorest loser. Gave her lots of dough before I ran against her. I was even pro-abortion back in the days of Napster and Friendster. I've been on both sides of many issues. The side that I was always on was mine. Issues were just like tissues. Crossing me crossed the line. If you get cheated and you don't keep bitching. You're the kind of chef who should get the hell out of the kitchen. If you get cheated and you don't make lots of noise, you may think that you're a man, but you're just one of the little boys. My people still love me. I'm not a doper or a boozer. I'll never be a beggar, 'cause I was born a chooser. You're never gonna hear this from your favorite fake newser. But nothing stands taller than the world's sorest loser. The world's sorest loser. Me. Now, ladies and gentlemen, no relation. The apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Well, guess who's sorry this week? Francis, the talking pope, is who? For the first time since the start of a Canadian tour, highlighted by apologies for the Catholic Church's role in indigenous residential schools, Pope Francis in Quebec. Acknowledged sexual abuse inflicted on quote minors and vulnerable people unquote. Speaking at a prayer service in Quebec's, Quebec City, Francis said the church in Canada is on a new path. Why? Who they abuse? Noah, after being devastated by the evil perpetrated by some of its sons and daughters. I think, in particular, of the sexual abuse of minors and vulnerable people, crimes that require firm action and an irreversible commitment. He said in an address delivered in his native Spanish, in the French-speaking Quebec, 
He's apologized during both the Alberta and Quebec legs of his visit for the role Catholic institutions played in the indigenous residential school system. A lot of kids were... Uh, they were in the system to be disabused of their indigenous heritage, to be uh, assimilated, whether they wanted to or not. And many of them uh, were recently found, some hundreds of them were found in graves on the sites of the schools. They, I guess they over-assimilated. The Pope said the Christian community must never again allow itself to be infected by the idea that one culture is superior to another, reiterating his plea for forgiveness. That would sound some like progress, but the former chairman, chairperson of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission says his offering of sorrow and shame leaves a deep hole by blaming individual members of the Catholic Church for the abuses of the residential schools, not the church itself. Quote, it's important to underscore that the church was not just an agent of the state, not simply a participant in government policy, but was a lead co-author of the darkest chapters in the history of this land. The land being Canada. Driven by the doctrine of discovery and other church beliefs and doctrines, Catholic leaders not only enabled the government of Canada, but pushed it even further in its work to commit cultural genocide of indigenous peoples. Cheers and applause rang out when the pontiff uttered words many survivors waited a lifetime to hear, quote, I am sorry. But according to Sinclair of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, a former judge and senator, it was more than the work of a few bad actors. I prefer to call them apples. This was a concerted institutional effort to remove children from their families and cultures, all in the name of Christian supremacy. Oh, by the way, the doctrine of discovery emanated from a series of papal bulls from the 15th century. It held that European explorers could acquire territories for their monarchs merely by discovering them, even if they were already inhabited and governed by others, as long as those inhabitants were non-Christians. Speaking of religion, here's some humor by amateurs, a bar and restaurant in Tiverton, Rhode Island, apologized this week for posting an offensive meme about Anne Frank. Nice. It was a black and white picture of her with the phrase, It is hotter in here than an oven, and I should know, written across the picture. According to a local talk show host, the owner who has not been named was the one who posted the meme on the restaurant's since-deleted Facebook page, saying it was a reference to how hot it was in the kitchen of the restaurant. Um, local radio host got a hold of the owner. He was annoyed. He doubled down on it, said the uh, radio host, and said he had just Googled it. He thought it was funny and that they were very, very busy and it was very hot there and they didn't have to deal with, they didn't have time to deal with any concerns or questions. He told me not to call him back and then he hung up on me. The uh, restaurant then posted an apology. Quote, the post was poorly thought out. We realized it was incredibly inappropriate. It does not reflect our values as members of our community. 
There is no excuse for the sharing of this post, and there was nothing we can do to rectify it. All we can do now is tell you we've got a special on roast beef. No, all we can do now is that I offer our deepest apology to those who were rightfully hurt by our actions. The uh, owner had a private Facebook, pa Facebook page who posted his own apology. On behalf of myself, I would like to sincerely apologize for the distasteful meme. I posted on our Facebook business page. No excuses should be made, but I must speak on my behalf. I didn't know. I honestly didn't know. I'm aware that everyone knows who Anne Frank is, but I did not finish school, and I was working at age 13, so I did not recognize her as I posted the meme about being hot as an oven. He was just Googling funny memes, and he picked the wrong one, he says. When I was given the phone, we had a full dining room with sweating guests as our air conditioner stopped working. I handled the call unprofessionally, and for that, I apologize as well. Meanwhile, Alex Jones, right-wing radio host, though I guess he's mainly on the Internet now. Anyway, he's on trial, defamation, falsely claiming the Sandy Hook school massacre was a hoax. His attorney apologized this week for a heated courtroom spat and for giving the middle finger to the plaintiff's lawyer a day earlier. He flipped the bird. Quote, I apologize for yesterday's outburst. Jones defense attorney F. Andino Reynal told a Texas court before the journey, the jury entered the room. It wasn't appropriate, he said. He said he also apologized for his actions in an email to the plaintiff's lawyers. They're representing the parents of one of the 20 young children slain at the Newtown, Connecticut school mass shooting in 2012. The judge addressed Wednesday's courtroom clash as proceedings got underway the next day. Quote, next time anyone who wants to have an argument, you need to take it outside, said the judge. They, uh, two lawyers, argued in the courtroom over video evidence in the case. Jones, founder of InfoWars, has already been found liable for defamation by the Texas court and a court for, in Connecticut, two courts, two states, for repeatedly telling his audience that Sandy Hook Massacre was a giant hoax staged by the government with actors. Were they bad actors or just Connecticut actors in King Arthur's court? The jury will determine how much money Jones must pay to two Sandy Hook parents whose six-year-old son was killed in the shooting, one of the 26 murdered. Another show is apologizing, not just InfoWars. The View, actually the moderator of The View, Whoopi Goldberg, offering her own personal apology to Turning Point USA, a uh, right-wing youth organization. That's a day after co-host Sarah Haynes read an official statement of apology on behalf of the show. In Monday's conversation about Turning Point USA, said Goldberg, I put the young people at the conference in the same category as the protesters outside. And I don't like it when people make assumptions about me, and it's not any better when I make assumptions about other people, which I did. So my bad. I'm sorry. People outside were uh, neo-Nazi demonstrators. Turning Point USA spokesperson said the group 100% condemns those ideologies. 
Turning point USA security tried to remove the neo-Nazis from the area, but could not because they were on public property. You remember a guy named, I think you pronounce it, PewDiePie? He was um, sort of a well-known YouTuber. I don't think he was uh, made it to TikTok, but he was a, sort of a, had a lot, like 11 million subscribers on YouTube at one point. And he's a gamer, too. Well, he's apologized after facing backlash for appearing to mock a TikTok creator who is deaf. Did that in a recent video. Sorry, 111 million subscribers. His behavior has caused a number of controversies over the years. He posted a video on his channel in which he shared his reaction to a number of videos he found cringe. Cringe. His real name is Felix Kjellberg. Included a clip from one of Scarlett May's recent videos on TikTok. May has 6.2 million followers on TikTok, utilizing both English and American sign language in her videos because she's deaf. She's got long nails and she uses them in doing her sign language. And that's what uh, drew the ire of PewDiePie. I had no clue she was deaf, but kind of dumb of me not to realize, he said in his apology. Honest mistake, my bad. And the Weather Channel denies knowing how a racial slur appeared on TV screens this week during a weather report broadcast in Des Moines, Iowa. The channel issued an apology to viewers. Journalist Matthew Keyes ignited a social media storm when he posted a tweet calling attention to the offensive racial epithet in the network's weather graphic. It said, This is your weather, my N-words. That was their quote. The Weather Channel confirms this graphic accidentally made it on air in the Des Moines market during a Locals on the Eights segment. The Weather Channel, which Byron Allen owns, former comic, wasn't he a comic? He's now a, a mini-media mogul. The channel is investigating exactly what happened. We removed this graphic as soon as we learned of it. This does not originate with us. We're in the process of investigating it further. We apologize to our viewers, said the network. Keyes, the journalist who reported this, speculated that the um, error originated at the cable head end, quoting him. I think it originated at the other end, but that's just me. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And uh, just in case you don't follow the BBC, what's going on in Britain um, was, of course, an unprecedented heat wave, followed by unprecedented levels of trolling aimed at weather forecasters. The BBC's team received hundreds of abusive tweets or emails questioning their reports and telling them to Get a grip. 
One meteorologist said he'd never experienced it, anything like it in nearly 25 years working in weather. The Royal Meteorological Society condemned the trolling. Most of the abuse seems to have been prompted as links were made in the reports between the heat wave and climate change. See, it's not just us. Ladies and gentlemen, when the uh, UK won the right to host the 2012 Olympics and Paralympics in London, the bid was as much based on the impact of holding the Games as upon the event itself. Numerous legacy promises were made. Key among those was increasing the number of people playing sport and turning the UK into a, quote, world-leading sporting nation. Government in the run-up to the Games heralded heralded, quote, our best chance in a generation to encourage people to be more physically active. Set a target in 2006 to have at least two million more people in England being more active by 2012. That target disappeared from later documents. The ambition to increase participation in sport across the country remained. Five years after the Games, it was found there had been virtually no increase in participation in England, in spite of $1.2 billion of investment in sports. Various studies have questioned whether hosting major sporting events like the Olympics really lead to people being more active, as 2012's organizers had hoped. The proportion of the population taking part in sport has even decreased in recent times. It's a lack of movement. That concludes this week's edition of the show. A tip of the show, chapeau, uh, chapeau to uh, 
Pam Halstead, to Thomas Walsh of WWNO New Orleans, and to the uh, Stale King, I mean the Fresh Prince, for help with today's broadcast. I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. Back next week, same time, same radio stations, or on your audio device of choice whenever you want. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWN on New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless. <laughs>